Hey coaches, and welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. For all the up-to-date information on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association, you can visit our website at www.or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Secretary and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Justin Duke, girls basketball coach at Wilsonville High School. Coach, how you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing great, and uh, thanks thanks for having me. This is a, a great opportunity for, for a lot of us, and I uh, appreciate you and, and the things that you're doing to, to connect some of us coaches here in Oregon. Yeah, thank you, Coach, and, and appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us. Uh, coach, I want to start with uh, having you give our listeners just a little bit of background on on who you are, uh, how you got into coaching, and, and how you ended up as the girls coach at Wilsonville. Yeah, so uh, not not unlike m- many coaches probably, and uh, you know, I got the opportunity to play in high school and, and had a, a lot of influence from from my high school coach at, at the time. And um, you know, he uh, reached out to me and uh, asked if I was interested in getting into some coaching. And so I did some volunteer stuff for for a few years, and then uh, joined uh, uh, Tony Miller at Sio High School for for two years as his JV coach. Um, and then Tony uh, moved on, and uh, I took over as the the varsity coach for him for for four seasons, and really enjoyed uh, you know just the experience of, of working with the kids and and everything about the the community there, and uh, got into some club basketball stuff with Oregon Elite um, and Gary Lavender just by circumstance of him being in the Albany area and doing some some workouts, and and stopped in and spoke to him and volunteered uh, my help and more than anything just uh, saw some good things that he was doing and selfishly would would have loved to have been a part of anything that that he was doing and um, he was gracious enough to allow me to to join his staff and and do some coaching during the summer and uh, that really you know expanded uh, you know I guess my network and uh, when the Wilsonville job came open um, I'd been at SIO for a while we'd had some success and had a, a few people from from Wilsonville reach out to me and, and ask about my interest and uh, my wife and I drove up and uh, looked at you know how, how far away from from Albany is it you know is this something that we can possibly do and took a look around the school and and spoke to some people that were familiar with the area and uh, applied and and probably interviewed them as much as they interviewed me I, I joke with our, our current athletic director and asked a lot of questions and it just became more and more obvious that, that it was a really good fit for me and uh, uh, you know, just really happy to be there and uh, what, a, what a great community and, and place to coach basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, coach, you, you know, you talked about SIO uh, and you had success there uh, and, and have, have really had some success at Wilsonville too. Um, can you kind of talk about what are some of the things that you have done or you think that you guys do really well that's, that's led to, to that success? Uh, you know, First, we've got great kids. Uh, you know, you have to have great kids, and and with great kids come come great parents. And I think that parents are are the great equalizer in coaching. Sometimes, right, is that uh, they they can really make or or break a program. Um, and I say that in the the most positive way that that I can. And I think a lot of, you know, as frustrating as it can be sometimes, our our role is in you know being transparent and and allowing uh, you know those players and and parents to to be part of our program. And so, you know, we, we meet at the beginning of the year and, and I've done this, you know, every year that I've coached is that, you know, we're always going to have 
open practices where, where parents can, can come in and watch because we want that, that transparency of, you know, here's what's happening and here's what we're doing. We obviously don't allow them to, to participate in practice or, or give feedback or, or do any of that. But I think that, you know, that's, that's important that, that they do that. And then, uh, you know, I, I say that, you know, We'll we'll sit down and, and talk about anything um, from playing time to to whatever you want to chat about um, when when we do that. But um, you know the the one stipulation is that your, your daughter is always going to be present for those conversations. And what I found is that get less less people reaching out to you know to to meet or ask questions because they're you know there's not going to be any confusion when when you get everybody in that setting and it really becomes this transparency of. Here's here's what we're trying to do. Here's here's our vision, and um, what I found is that we have people that that buy into that and, and want to be a part of that, and it's uh, you know it's it's just a you know a, a nice way of doing things where where everybody stays connected and we're we're all moving forward and it doesn't feel like my team or you know our best players team or or the girls team, but it's really a, a community effort and uh, you know we we need everybody to to get to where we want to be. Yeah, coach. I mean, I think that's a a lot of coaches would cringe with parents into practice. Um, I think that's something that, that a lot of coaches are nervous to do, uh, but something sure. that, that you've had a lot of success with. Can you kind of expound on, like, what does that look like? So, uh, obviously, you have a practice um, time that, that you're scheduled to run in. And then, so, if parents do come watch, do, do you have, like, a roped-off area? Do you chain them to a wall? What do, how do you – what does that look like if they're going to come uh, watch yeah. the practice? Yeah, you know, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, typically we have, you know, one or two managers at practice already, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll set out a few extra chairs at, at practice um, that they're, you know, they're, they can come in and they can sit and observe. And, uh, you know, to, to be honest, we, we don't have many, many parents take us up on that, um, even though they know the opportunity is there. Um, well, you know, it could be a variety of reasons. Could be that, you know, their, their daughter doesn't want them there, um, you know, and that might lead to a, a conversation that, that is important that, that needed to happen at, at home is, you know, you know, why don't you want me there? You know, how often are we going to talk about the things that are happening? But, you know, what I found is when there, you do have that conflict with, with parents at, at some point, they aren't at practice. And so they don't have the, the full scope of, you know, what, what you may see or what, what might be happening. And it's not to say that you need to, to defend what you're doing, but there, there's no way to really connect and have that conversation about things that, they just, you know, can't be privy to or, or a part of. And, um, you know, some of the best conversations I've had have been with a, a player and, and a parent or both parents um, and all of us in the same room at the, at the same time. And um, I don't think that I can think of a time that we've left that room and not be in a better spot than we were but prior to that and uh, really takes away any of the, the guessing or he said, she said, or, you know, here's what I'm hearing at home coach. And, uh, and you know, that, that may or may not be the, be the case, but, um, yeah, I think that parents enjoy that and they enjoy the, the access or the transparency that, that we're willing to provide. And, you know, even if they, you know, rarely use it. Do you have, uh, expectations, uh, for parents that are going to come practice? So, so it is open. Uh, do they, do they have to give you like 24 hour notice? Um, if they're there, obviously I would assume that, you know, they can't step into drills, things of that nature. Do you kind of lay that out sure. for, okay, parents, if you're going to come to practice, here's what I expect from you. 
Yeah, so um, exactly. We'll, we'll lay that out in our, uh, you know, parent meeting prior to the season that, you know, explains that they're more than willing to come in um, at any time. Like they, they don't need to give me any notice. If they want to come in and watch the, the last 10 minutes of practice, they, they're more, you know, they can do that. Um, we just ask that, you know, they're silent observers. You know, if they have siblings that might be a little bit younger, that they're they're not a distraction and that uh, you know, they kind of stay to the baseline. And um, I think maybe one time in the past you know eight to ten years I've uh, had some you know one of our assistant coaches or myself go over to to a parent and say uh, you know hey uh, you know, could you can be here but uh, you know we need you we need you to allow us to to do what we're here for and and to coach your daughter and um, they were very understanding and never never an issue after that so good that's good stuff thanks coach um, Wilsonville High School, very different than Sile High School. Um, and that's kind of, you know, where you started, obviously the Oregon Elite stuff, but being a head coach mm-hmm. in Sile uh, to then taking the, the Wilsonville job. Uh, what, what were kind of the biggest, what's the biggest surprise or what was the biggest differences that, that you picked up on from going from a school like Sile to a school like Wilsonville? Yeah. Yeah, um, boy, a couple things, right? Um, first and foremost, probably just the the amount of opportunities for students at, at some of the larger schools. You know, when when I was at SIO, we were, uh, you know, there, there were a few other opportunities. We might have competed with a kid that was interested in, you know, doing some some FFA, or you know, I think we, you know, were just getting to where we had one or two girls that were interested in wrestling. Um, but for the most part, we were we were kind of the the only show in town on, you know, during the winter, and so we weren't you know, looking to compete for kids. And I, I come up to Wilsonville and boy, we've got swim, cheer, dance, snowboarding, you know, which I would have never thought about, uh, speech, trauma choir, um, had a girl come to me, uh, after the first year and say that, you know, she loved basketball, but she was starting the Wilsonville broadcasting network and that they were going to be, uh, you know, YouTubing, um, games and providing commentary for, you know, basketball games. And so things that you just never would have, um, realize or opportunities that, that I certainly never had in high school that, that are exciting for kids. Um, but at the same time, it, it causes, you know, us to really focus on developing, you know, relationships with not just our varsity kids, but, but all kids in the program, because if, if they don't feel valued or they aren't, you know, enjoying their experience, um, you're going to lose those kids because there, there are so many other things that they can, can go and do. I think that's that's something that a lot of coaches are are dealing with and i, I see it a lot on the on the, the girls side especially mm-hmm. um because when you add in you know club volleyball or club soccer and things of that nature mm-hmm. um i know that that girls coaches are, are really i mean recruiting hard just to keep their kids um mm-hmm. playing that sport and not losing them to to stuff like that uh right. you talked about kind of building that connection especially with younger players uh, what are some things that you and your program program do to to build those connections? Um, yeah, I, I, great question. I mean, a couple of different things, but I mean, first and foremost is I think we have one of the the biggest mistakes that that we make as coaches sometimes is that we assume that that everyone wants to be great. Um, or that they're as motivated as we are to, to be great. So, you know, eye-opening for me, you know, joining a program like Wilsonville was, I was I was ready to go. You know, I was like, we're going to build this thing up. We're, we're going to, you know, attack this, uh, you know, as, as hard as we can. And the, the kids are going to buy in and, and we're going to do that. And you quickly find out that, that that might not be the case for everybody. And I remember uh, it was probably the best email I ever got from a parent just because of, 
how eye-opening it was for me was right after the uh, first season started when I was at Wilsonville, I got an email from a parent that um, uh, was challenging me a little bit on why we would be having Saturday practices and that, that we hadn't had Saturday practices in the past and that they had long-standing season tickets to Oregon Duck football games. And this was going to cause a conflict at their house. And I, I read through the email and I thought, wow, you know, I got this position, like, if we're going to practice less, like, we're not very good right now, but we're going to practice less than most teams by not practicing on Saturdays. But the expectation is still the same that that we're going to improve and be great. There, there's obviously a disconnect here already. Um, and so it, ma it made me pause and really think about it. But the, the line that stood out to me the, probably the most was that um, said that, you know, you're, you're taking over a program where a lot of the girls aren't even sure how much they like basketball anymore. And boy, that, that really, you know, stopped me in my tracks for a second, because that's really something that, that I hadn't considered and, and probably should have leading up to that point is that first we we've got to find a way to like, what is in a positive experience look like for these kids? Like we're not going to win a state championship this year. And so what is going to make these guys enjoy the season? Um, we need improvement, but also align on on what our goals are. And, and that's tough. Um, and probably favorite, you know, one, one of my favorite, uh, you know, coaches quotes, and I'm sure we all have those, those favorite quotes is that, um, you know, you, you either need to change your actions or, or change your goals. And so, you know, when we align on who we want to be as a team and, and where we want to go is that if those things are not in alignment anymore and our actions aren't aligning with those, those goals that we have as a program, then what we either need to change one of those things needs to change because we're, we're at a disconnect and there's obvious, there's going to be conflict between coach and team, or we're not going to be satisfied at the end of the season. So, you know, what, what does that look like and, and how do we have those conversations early on to, and then hold each other accountable to, to where we want to be. Yeah. I think that's something too, that uh, is, is good to share because even within your team, you know, maybe you as a team set some goals and, uh, and you've got that figured out, but maybe there's uh, players on your team where, where basketball is like their their second favorite sport or their third favorite sport, and they just want to play with their friends or they've always enjoyed it, so they're trying to play. Um, how do you how do you you deal with those kids individually? Uh, let's say you've got a girl that's going to go play, you know, college volleyball, but she wants to play hoops. I mean, is there anything that you do different with her? Um, keep her connected and, and keep her moving with the team in the right direction? Yeah, I, I think that it's really easy for, for us to be selfish in those situations, whether it's, you know, the, the players or, or the coaches to say, you know, it, you know, when you start to lose a kid or, you know, they're thinking about, you know, maybe moving on to a different sport or you're not getting the effort is that, you know, they're, they're accepting either what their ability is, their role on the team, or that, you know, they don't, feel like this is the best thing for them anymore. And so talk a lot about, especially this year on, you know, why do we play and, and who do we play for? And what, what we found is that in going through and having a lot of those conversations that people found, you know, a, a bigger purpose than just playing for themselves or what their, their role is on the team. And I think a lot of times we, as coaches, we can struggle with, we, we do need that ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th kid to practice, you know, probably just as hard, probably harder than even our best kids sometimes because they need to practice harder just to, you know, hang with some of those you know, kids because their ability isn't as great. But they may not believe us when we have that conversation to explain just how important they are to, to the program. 
but when they start to hear things like, you know, maybe volleyball is my favorite sport and, you know, basketball is my second favorite sport, but I've been playing basketball with, you know, one of my best friends um, on this team since the fourth grade. And, and this is her favorite sport. And I'm doing this, you know, not just for myself, but, but also for her and, and playing for that, you know, that bigger purpose. And it kind of motivates you in those times where you, you maybe don't want to go to practice or, or you, you know, have a little give up in you, or you don't want to work quite as hard because you know that we're about to play the league champions and they, you know, your odds of you getting in the game are, are slim to none, but uh, you understand that uh, your, your purpose is a little bit different. That's good stuff. Uh, coach, I think one of the toughest things to do uh as a head coach and and you got to be an assistant and then and then take over the head coaching role is 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 leading the entire program right and and building programs are really important uh and and keeping kids involved especially like you've been talking about on on the on the girl side when you got to wilsonville what are some things you do for for your younger team so your freshmen your jv jv2 teams um that keeps them uh involved in the program um, while still focusing most of your attention on the varsity team? Yeah, um, first, I mean, foremost, you've, you've got to have good coaches at, at those levels, right? And uh, it's it's harder and harder to find coaches um, that um, that you can you know, have in your program that, that are going to do a great job with, with those groups um, just because there's fewer and fewer coaches that, that are coaching anymore. And so, you know, one at Wilsonville, I think we've got some, some great coaches. Uh, we've got four assistant coaches on staff and, and all four have coached at the, at the varsity level before. So, you know, really fortunate to have, you know, five, what I, you know, head coaches on, on staff, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, something that I started doing a few years ago that, that I would encourage a lot of people to think about is that, you know, what most of us do, you know, summer league, um, you know, through the, through the month of June or, or a few weekends or however that looks. And um, I started coaching our, our incoming freshman and JV2 team during, during the summer. And that was really hard for me because, boy, you, you know, you do want to focus on your, your varsity kids and make sure that you are in a good spot and you might be putting people into new roles and positions and, and gain some comfort or traction, you know, through through June that, that will hopefully lead to, you know, some success in, in December. But um, what I found is we're increasing our leadership with with our varsity team they're getting to hear a different voice from our assistant coaches and, and we're stretching them in their roles a little bit to, to do some things that maybe they haven't done as, as much. Um, and then I get to, you know, really show the incoming freshmen and, and JV2 kids one that, that they are valued. I get to implement, you know, the, the things that I'm passionate about you know, my way a little bit. And so, you know, they know that parents, you know, which, which is important, see that, you know, their, their daughters are, are valued and that we want them to be part of the program. Um, and so whether they're on that freshman or JV2 team the next year or they're on JV or they're on varsity, we've already established, you know, a relationship with the, the head coach and there's, you know, an openness or, you know, an opportunity to communicate with them and, and be coached by them um, regardless of where they're at in the program. So I think that that, that has gone a long ways for, for us and something that, that we'll certainly continue to do, um, you know, as, as long as I'm the coach there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you talked about kind of building that leadership and, and obviously having you coach the, the incoming freshman or GB2 team will, will help with that on the varsity varsity level. Um, I got to watch your team actually play. Uh, I was scouting your boys team uh, and got there a little early. Um, and I could just I could tell just by watching your team that that you had some really strong leaders um, on your team this past season. 
Um, mm-hmm. What are what are some specific things that you do to develop leadership in young women? Yeah. Uh, so, again, a couple couple different things. One was, uh, you know, we we don't have any captains on, on our team, and I, I know that's probably a, a hot button for coaches that they they may cringe at, and and I'm certain that uh, it works for a, a lot of teams and a lot of programs and and how they evaluate that. I just, you know, I guess it's more of the the Brad Stevens approach where, you know, I prefer that that everyone has an equal voice on the team. Um, and, you know, we, at the beginning of the year, you know, we just wait to see who who goes out to the the officials meeting, you know, the, with the, the referees. Um, and uh, somebody always asks, like, this is like, you know, what, who, who are we going to send out there? And I'm like, I don't know. You know. The kids will figure it out. And, you know, every year you know, we have somebody step up and, and, and go over there and do that. But um, I've always joked that, you know, what the, what's the, the true purpose of, of having a captain? Um, I've never seen a, a game where the officials, you know, even though they might review it in the, the pregame meeting, have pulled, stopped the game and said, OK, I, I, I'm only willing to talk to the captains right now and, and bring the captains together. And so I prefer to, to do it that way because it, it encourages everyone to, to use their voice. And, and we don't have anybody that doesn't use their voice or won't speak up when when it's appropriate because they, they may not be in a leadership position or they might not be a captain. Um, and then I think that, you know, a lot of things that we do is that put the kids in, in positions to, to problem solve or, or face adversity where where they have to lead each other. Right. And so we do a ton of, you know, practice situations that are advantage, disadvantage that, you know, f- forces kids to to really lead um, and step up and, and communicate with with their teammates. Uh, something that we introduced this year that that I thought was great was um, stole this from from somebody I can't can't remember who right now but um, we gave the kids one one timeout per practice and I think that through conversation we we found that you know the kids know when practice isn't going well or that things aren't going well and they can sense when coach is getting upset or that you know there's just that frustration overall and so knowing that, that they identify that, that they just didn't know how to to address it in that moment appropriately, um, is that they we gave them the, the opportunity to, to call a timeout and it could be used by any player at, at any time and, and gather the group together and they get about 60 seconds to, to, to get things back on track and uh, move on from there. And I found that, you know, I, I enjoy it because you know we're we're finding that leadership from from our team. They're they're identifying when things aren't going well, and they need to work through it themselves with without the coach present. And it also gives me you know sixty seconds to to relax a little bit and recognize that okay, you know we're we're all in the same boat. We're we're working towards the same things, and uh, you know we're we're going to get this fixed, and 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 it's going to be better here in a minute. No, that's good stuff. I like I like that idea of giving them a timeout because I think I think like you said kids kids realize right when things aren't going well or right. uh, or they can pick up on your body language as a coach when you're getting frustrated and so um i like that idea that's that's really cool uh you talked about some of your advantage disadvantage situations um mm-hmm. are those player led so in other words you get the scenario and then you let them kind of figure it out or what what are some of those advantage disadvantage things that you do yeah, and um, you know, we, we build this into to most things that we do. We you know ra- very rarely do we have you know a lot of five on zero situations or you know shooting drills that don't involve you know some component of, of defense. And um, 
what we do is, you know, something it's part of our, you know, our shell drill that, that most coaches do is that um, we'll do like a four on three situation where, you know, the kids can't, they've got, they can't dribble. They've got um, four passes max that, that they can use before getting a shot up. And the defense has to get what we call a, a K. So K being like a strikeout in, in baseball or softball. And uh, they have to get a stop, get a defensive rebound or a deflection turnover. And that gives, you know, they get a strike. And so when they get three strikes in a row, they get to that K, then their team moves out of out of the drill and moves on. So, you know, we're, we're putting them in that disadvantaged situation to do that. But now the kids are talking about defensive rotations, you know. Who do they not want to to give up a shot to? You know, if a, a Sydney Burns is, is uh, you know, one of our best players is, you know, playing the wing spot and she doesn't have a dribble. How are we, you know, communicating and making sure that we're not going to give up a shot to her? Um, and and then you know, it, it's just great to see how they how they problem solve through those things. And now we're we're moving on the fly of the ball. We're not coaching all the time to say, you know, when the ball goes here, this is what you need to do, and you need to x out to this side, and this is you know the gap you need to be. And they they're just problem solving a lot of those things on their own and, and and they face a lot of adversity because we'll be you know team gets hot and they start knocking down shots and uh you know they might get to two stops in a row for a while and and uh, you know they, they got to start over again but uh you know it, it really shows you know some grit and determination sometimes to to get through those absolutely how do you ensure that that communication um is productive i think sometimes uh you know in the past when I mean, personally, when I've let my kids kind of do something like that, it can be a little bit of negative talk, right? Like you didn't do this, you didn't do that, um, yeah. which is something that obviously as coaches, we want to avoid. I mean, we want the competitiveness, we want the determination, but we want it to be a productive conversation. Um, is there anything that you do to kind of ensure that that communication is productive? A little bit, um, you know, we, we do prefer that they, they work through that on their own. And I think that, you know, we're able to do some of those things because of the, the relationships that, that those kids have established, you know, and, and those could be relationships they're establishing, not at practice, but outside, but that a real understanding that, hey, you know what, like, if I do get on you, um, it's, it's coming from a, a place that of not, uh, you know, I told you so, or, you know, I'm better than you, but uh, a place of, Hey, we're, we're in this together and, and they have to have that belief. But one of the things that, that we do talk about and we share quite a bit throughout the season when we need to, is that we, we have this idea that, you know, reminders are, are only good if they're given before needed. Right. And so I think as, as coaches and, and I find myself doing this sometimes we'll be, you know, we don't, we give up an offensive rebound. And I yell out, you know, hey, hey, you need to box out. Well, you know, how great is that at that point? Like <laughs> they already knew they needed to box out. Right. And so now I'm, I'm coaching after the fact. And it's, you know, what how many things can we remind the kids about before before they need to know them? And that's where we talk about our communication and what that sounds like and how it comes across. So now it's less finger pointing or, or blame. And it's coming across as let's let's encourage each other to do the things that are going to make us successful before before we need them. Um, and they, they really enjoy that. And it, I think it really makes people reflect on the feedback they're giving or, or the type of communication that they're providing, for, whether it's from, from coaches or, or teammates, but something that uh, is a good self-check to, to see how that communication is going. No, I think that's really good. And I have an assistant that, that talks to our kids about the same thing all the time, right? Being proactive as opposed to reactive. And um, right. I think it just helps build a better 
sense of the game for kids and and just builds up their basketball IQ, right? When you can say, hey, what's going to happen next? And how do I get my teammate into that position to be successful? Uh, right. And, and it just helps everybody. Everybody. Involved, yeah. So. All right. Thanks, Coach. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return more with Coach Duke right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Want more from the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast? Visit our website at anchor.fm OBCA or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Wilsonville Girls Basketball Coach Justin Duke. Uh, coach, we got to talk about uh, some fun stuff in the first segment, uh, just building program, leadership, things of that nature. Uh, I want to kind of focus more on some on-the-court stuff uh, in this next segment, uh, specifically kind of the offensive philosophy that, that you have and use, uh, and I believe it's called the Go, Flow, Move, Execute uh, offensive philosophy. Can you kind of explain what that is uh, and how you guys implement that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I stole this from from a college uh, coach um, a couple of years ago, and and I think that uh, a lot of programs probably probably think about it this way. Uh, maybe not with the exact same terminology, but it's really, you know, how are you breaking down your your offensive attack um, from the point that you know you you rebound the ball or you you have possession of the ball, and and what is that what does that look like? So, you know, four components for us are, are go um, first, which would be, you know, our primary transition break or advantage situation. So I would say like we're, we're playing in go when we get a steal and we're in that three on one or two on one advantage situation and, and the kids are just out playing. Uh, second piece to that is, is flow. And those are the actions that really connect our go offense to our continuities. Uh, that we hope uh, lead to small advantages. So that could be, you know, we run a, a four out, um, you know, with a rim runner coming down the floor, you know, a numbered break, like, like a lot of programs do. And so flow action would be something like we're going to dribble handoff with the wing on the right side and quickly swing it up top to the four and blast cut through and try and create a shoulder to chest advantage for our four to, to drive it to the rim. And that would, you know, provide continuity to how it goes into our, what we call move offense. And that is exactly what we, we talk about, like continuity offense. So we're a dribble drive team out of, out of man. We're a basic one, three, one alignment, a lot of times out of, out of zone. And those are our two base offenses. But what we're trying to do is teach the kids those base offenses. And then how do we create small advantages that, allow those more continuity offenses to result in a scoring opportunity. And so how do we maintain that advantage that, that we've created? Um, and then the, the execute portion, that those are our, our set plays. And those are things that we don't want the kids to deter away from. This is, this kid's got two fouls and we want to attack them in the post. Or we are, you know, want to get a, a shot for this kid because they've either got the hot hand or they're our best player or they're, you know, facing a, a mismatch or something we want to exploit. And so what I found is that it's, uh, it's really easy to introduce a lot of these things. We run fewer set plays than, than we did earlier when, when I was coaching. 
um, the the majority of our, our flow actions um, are you know one to two passes um, at most. I don't think we had anything this year that that was more than two passes. And you know what we're really looking for is to create that that one closeout or that one two on one situation, and then just allow the kids to to play the game. And uh, you know I found we we spend a lot less time working on remembering plays or you know calling different plays like you know blazer, and we've got to remember you know five different positions and, and all of this other stuff, and and really give the kids some more freedom to to go out and and play. And you know once they have that advantage, maintain that advantage. That's great. Uh, you also have some stuff, uh, you know, I've talked about a little bit, uh, called false motions. Uh, can you kind of explain what those are and how you use them? Yeah, so that would be, um, you know, like our, our flow actions are, are typically considered false false motions. And again, it's really looking to create advantages for either different players or, or positions on the floor that, that are going to connect to, to that other stuff. So, um, you know, we may start the season with three, maybe four of those, you know, false motions that, um, you know, we can build up through, throughout the season. But I think that terminology is so important. And so with our, our false motions, we have, you know, short terms, one, one hand signal and, uh, my, you know, like shake, push, wave, flip, uh, you know, side. These are all, you know, terms that we use that, that most coaches, I guess, or, you know, would consider plays, but really all it is, is we're trying to, you know, create that, that one advantage that, that allows us to, to go and attack the basket and, and do the things that, that we want to do. So the kids enjoy it because again, less, less remembering, but as you go throughout the season, you can add more of these false motions, but, but you can also connect them to each other. And so we're able to make a lot of in-game adjustments as, as coaches and, and players without, you know, reinventing the wheel or teaching them something they, they may not know. So I think maybe a great example for, for us that, that people might be able to understand would be that we run like a high pick and roll play, um, you know, just to enter into our dribble drive. And we, we call that side. And we were playing against Crater in the third place game last year over in Corvallis. And we were running side against the, the top of their 2-3 zone. And they had a, a guard up top that was doing a, a really nice job of, you know, getting over the top of the screen. And But it, we were also, it was dragging them out of position. So we were losing our typical advantage on, on the strong side coming off the pick and roll. But we're also dragging that that top player, you know, away from the their their home base a little bit. And so, you know, we were able to make the adjustment and say, okay, hey, let's, we're, let's run side push three so we're going to send our left wing through to the right side as the pick and roll comes and as we drag that kid over we're going to throw the ball back and create a two-on-one on the backside. and something that we'd, we'd never practiced before you know up, up to that point uh, but something that you know the kids understood that well you know i don't have to learn a new play i know what side is and i know what push three is so we're going to do those things and and then the ball started to find that that two-on-one advantage situation we had kid that had uh you know i think her high score for for the season was eight points end up with uh 17 points because she'd come through on the backside and, and knocked in a bunch of big threes for us yeah that's good stuff so it's just it's just kind of it's within your typical offense already. Uh, it's just little actions that are wrinkles, maybe, uh, as coaches might know, that, that either gets you into your offense or is part of your offense but creates an advantage for a specific player or based on how they're defending. Right. So I think you know another way to think about it would be 
dribble drive specifically has become such a popular offense, right? There's probably a team in every league um, across the state that is running some form of, of dribble drive, it feels like. And, and coaches have, whether you run dribble drive or not, have, you know, really learned how to defend some of the actions in there. So I found is it's really hard for us against some good teams to come down and say, all right, we want our point guard to try and get it to the drop zone and, and we're just going to rack it and, and play out of this because, you know, to scout, whether it's through scouting or whatever coaches know, you know, how, how to defend that. And so the offense still works just as effectively as, as it did, you know, a few years ago when it wasn't as popular, but you have to disguise it or, you know, create those advantage situations to then use the, you know, what the, what the offense was designed to do. And same thing with, with zone, I think, you know, 90% of the coaches out there either run some form of one, three, one zone offense at some point, or they have to, to scout against it. So just like anybody, we, you know, we have a high post and we have a, a short corner or post and two wings and, and a point guard up top. And uh, you know, it's how do we tilt the zone to drag people out of their their area to create a two-on-one that is in that set. So we might know, hey, when the ball goes to the high post, the short corner is going to dive to the rim every single time, and our wings are going to flood the baseline corner. And we practice, you know, those as you know, shooting and, and scoring drills, you know, all the time. So now how do we replicate actions that are going to allow us to get the ball to the high post? And so it's going to be how do we – dribble handoff here or overload the backside or run this action that's going to free up the high post to now make those decisions. Great. No, thank you. I was, I was going to ask you about zone. So I'm glad you kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, yeah. How do you roll, roll this out to your kid? So it's the, you know, it's the beginning of the, of a new season. So say we're going into this fall, uh, obviously you've been at, at Wilsonville now for a few years, so it's obviously going to be a little bit easier, but if, if you were implementing this system for, for the very first time, uh, let's say, or a coach that's listening is, is loving every second and they want to go to this system, um, how do you teach that to your kids and what does that look like? Yeah, I think uh, there's certainly a couple different ways that you can do it. You know, we at times will start from our, our primary break and then we will we will build to it, I think, other opportunities. And this is why, you know, I one of the reasons I'm the biggest fan of the system is that let's say, you know, your your varsity team is going to run a lot more things than than your JV two team, right? Or maybe you want to connect your offense or some of the philosophy things that you have down to your youth teams. And this system really allows you to do that because we may have our JV two program run you know, our one, three, one zone offense with no, no entries or actions, right? Because we just want them to, to learn the, the base and the continuity. Once they grasp that concept and their skills get to a spot where we're able to focus on skill development and not remembering a whole bunch of plays because, so they don't have to relearn it the next year when they move up to JV or varsity is they already have that base offense understanding. And now they know how to play in that system and they're just learning these actions that flood into it. So it's, Hey, Hey, we're still running diamond, which is our zone offense. We're just going to run shake, which is two passes that lead us into diamond. And so now we're not reinventing the wheel every year and, you know, learning a bunch of plays. Um, and, you know, even, even our youth teams, you know, maybe they're running, you know, our, our primary numbered break. And that's something that, you know, is important to me that, you know, we start to, to develop early. 
and now they have that that base understanding and now they're you know coming up to the the high school level and they're learning you know just the you know these few actions that that enhance what they already know and and put them in a better situation so it allows us to spend more time on skill development connects to you know all the teams in our program you know whether it's youth or or the younger teams and um, you know, you can add to it as the season goes. You don't have to have your whole system in by December 1st. You know, you, you can have your base stuff in and maybe we run one or two two of these false motions or actions early in the year. And then by the end of the year, we have, you know, seven or eight. That's great. What is what is kind of a typical practice look like um, with regards to kind of implementing that system or uh, obviously beginning of the year is, is going to be different than the end of the year. But But how do you kind of teach these? drills is it five what does that look like yeah i think um you know something that that we do every um every day is that we have our our practice readiness drills um or or drill for for the day and um stole this from uh uh coach calipari at at kentucky and and enhanced it for for the things that we want to do but i think as as coaches we've all had those practices where you know you go in with a practice plan of you know here's what we want to get done today and the stuff or the drills or, or whatever it is that you have on your practice sheet, the, the kids are not playing at a pace or are engaged enough that you're going to have success if, if you do that. So, you know, I'd found myself almost negotiating with, with my practice plan at times to say, okay, the kids don't have great energy this morning, you know, on a Saturday morning or, you know, we're coming off a big game. Like we're just not we're not at a spot where we're going to be successful or, or get what we need to out of this. And so we have, uh, you know, practice readiness drills. And, and what that is, is, you know, we'll do, um, we'll get a group of five out on the floor maybe, and we'll give them 32 seconds and they've got to go five trips, five on zero, and everybody gets a lay-in and it'll be out of our primary break. And if they don't complete it, then, you know, we start over and we're not going to start practice until everybody on the, you know, that's practicing with the varsity. So if we've got 15 kids you know, practicing with the varsity, then we've got to get three groups to go through and complete that in a row before we're ready to start practice. And what I found is you're stretching them, right? So now they're, they're practicing at a speed that, you know, is the speed that, that we need to practice with you're not, you know, begging them or, or fighting them in, in a lot of ways to, to get motivated and get practicing hard. And so once we get to that point, you know, we can add some of these, these things, you know, into it. Um, it's like, you know, let's go, you know, a couple of trips and, and do it this way. Or, you know, probably one of my favorites is let's play, uh, you know, five on five, but we're not going to go live until the ball gets, you know, through our, our false motion. So now we're, we're, doing play review, right? Because it's not live. So we're not, you know, reading the play and stealing the ball. Kids are kind of going through and then we're getting, you know, live action out of it. So, you know, let's run, you know, run shake. Um, and then when the ball gets uh, gets to the four spot, you know, you guys play it live from there. And we do that out of advantage and disadvantage situations. But again, the, the nice part is only being one or two passes that it's really quick for, for the kids to pick up on it. Um, and you, you know, it's, it's easy to learn and, you know, with repetition, you know, they, they learn how to take advantage of those situations, but, um, we spend less time learning and doing five on zero stuff than, than the majority of the teams out oh, there. That's probably. good stuff. Uh, let's say the practice. Is real. Um, I mean, how, how long do you do that? Do you do it until they all get it done or is there a certain time limit? Of, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we, uh, we, we do it until they get it done. So we, we identify a baseline for, for a lot of those things early in the season. And, um, you know, there, there's days that, that we've gone at it for, you know, much longer than, than we need to. But I think the, and that's frustrating for, for coaches. It can be frustrating for the kids, but the, the rationale is if we can't do this, then what's the point of, of even working on the other stuff right now? is that we, you know, we're not asking, uh, you know, ourselves as, as coaches or players to do something that we know that, that we're not capable of doing. And so, you know, probably leads to some conversation of if we are struggling to, to complete this, what, you know, why is that? And, you know, how do we get our, our head back to a spot where we're ready to move on? Um, and, you know, it puts a little pressure on some of the kids sometimes, right? Is that, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to be the, the group to that, that misses the lay-in that, that causes you not to get it. And uh, that's where you, you also see, you know, the strength of your team and, and some resiliency to say, you know, these are, these are things that are going to happen in, in a game. And, and how are we going to respond to those situations? Because, um, you know, I guess if you come to our, our practice, like a, a lot of practices, you know, it, it doesn't look pretty all the time. You know, we, we could probably make practice look real, real nice if we wanted it to. Too, but um, you know we're we're trying to replicate a lot more of the the things that are going to happen you know in a game or situations where we need to come together as a group. So um, you know typically we find a way to get it done, um, and uh, you know it, it just takes it takes a little bit longer than we want it to Absolutely. some days. I, I I like that idea. I think it's a good way to to test your test your team, like you were just mentioning, but but also kind of see where they're at on that day because you know there's anything I've learned from coaching high school kids is that uh, you can be a very different team um, two days apart. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and so yep. I, I think that's a good way to kind yeah. of see where you're at um, before you get practice started. So, yeah. Yeah. You find that they, they certainly uh, make sure that they're ready to practice a lot more than, than maybe some, some aren't, you know, I think when, when you have your best teams, right. They're, they're pretty self-motivated a lot of times where, you know, you can walk in the gym and they're, they're already shooting or they're, you know, getting up and down, they're stretching, they're doing the things that they need to do. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, other groups that, that you have to fight on, on a lot of that stuff. They're, they're not self-motivated to do a lot of those things. And so when they know that that's coming at the very beginning of practice, all of a sudden that, that pre-practice stuff gets, gets a lot better. You know, you've got, you got people showing up early for practice that are stretching and, and doing the things that, that you want them to do already. But now you've really found a way to, to pass the ownership uh, back to, back to them as, as players and, and t- take that off your plate, yeah. which, which no, is nice too. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, when we return, coach Duke will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon basketball coaches podcast. Want to learn more about the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association and how we can support you? Check out our website at www.or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Justin Duke, girls basketball coach at Wilsonville High School. Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. Uh, we'll put 35 seconds on the clock and I'll ask you some rapid fire questions that'll have one to two word answers, uh, covering a variety of different basketball topics. Uh, and we'll see how many we can get through. How's that sound? Sounds great. Thanks, coach. Alrighty. Starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes, absolutely. Should it be implemented at the sub varsity levels? Preferably, yes. All six classifications? 
yes, but I would be in favor of a pilot um, for some of the larger classifications first. If you're up three with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Yes, most of the time. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press? Uh, really depends on the team, but 25 to, to 30, depending on the, the skill level of the team. Are you in favor of moving the three-point line back at high school? Yes. How do you celebrate after a big win? Uh, we like to, to count up our wins, and it just uh, brings, you know, is a reminder of the uh, the hard work that, that the kids have put in, and I think it's just a, a good way to to end the night always on, on some type of positive. So just a, a reminder whether we played well or didn't play well, but, uh, yeah, that uh, we're enjoying some success together. That's great. That's time. Good work, Coach. Good work. Um, I want to ask you to follow up a little bit on the, the – the shot clock, obviously, that's a, a hot topic in the state of Oregon and, and across the country right now with high school basketball. Uh, you mentioned you're in favor of the shot clock. Can you elaborate on why? Yeah, um, you know, I think that a lot of people immediately go to and, and want to talk about, you know, team stalling, and, and I think that's certainly part of it. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, other variables or components to that are, you know, the, the pace of the game obviously improves. Um, I think that, you know, we're always fighting, you know, a numbers battle where, you know, basketball only has five players on the, on the court where, you know, a lot of sports have, have more than that. And so, you know, just the, the addition of the shot clock is going to not only increase the pace of the game, but it's going to be more shot attempts, more fouls. I think it's going to result in, in more kids, you know, playing. So, you know, depth uh, becomes, you know, you know a, another component to that. Um, and, and probably the biggest piece is just the, the IQ of your players has to go up, right? Um, I think that, you know, there's there's less control from, from a coaching standpoint and that you, coaches really would, you know, need to be creative and in terms of not, not play design, but teaching their kids, you know, to, to play a little bit smarter or understand how, how to make plays. And um, I think especially in Oregon is travel around and, and watch some of these kids from other states play. We're a little bit behind in terms of how many playmakers we have on the floor where, you know, some of the best teams in the state might have a couple of, of playmakers. Um, and they, they rely on them to make plays, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time. And, you know, result of the shot clock is more more kids are going to step up and, and be forced into those playmaker roles. Um, and a coach isn't going to be able to run their motion offense for, you know, 45 seconds to a minute, pull the ball back out, and a good point guard can, you know, dribble with their back to the basket for, you know, for 10 seconds while they call in the play and then they, they try something different. So um, very much in favor of it. Coach, something else that's kind of uh, come into play recently, obviously, being at SIO, uh, you used the rule of two, uh, and now at Wilsonville, this year was the first year 5A was able to use that new 5A, 6A classification uh, practice rule or practice model in the fall and spring. Uh, are you in favor of, of the new model, uh, and how has it maybe been better than, than the rule of two? Yeah, so I'm in favor of it in comparison to the rule of two. I think that there's still um, a lot of opportunity to to improve what we're trying to do um, and, and support, you know, kids playing multiple sports while also giving the coaches some, you know, some opportunities to work with the, their players a little bit more in the off season. I think the, the one thing that I was challenged by the most or disappointed the most in the, the addition of the rule was that it didn't allow you to work with uh, your youth players at the same time as your high school players. And I think that if if one of the goals is to give more control um, of programs to to coaches and, and the high school coaches specifically, that 
not allowing that to happen is, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Either a coach is now forced to put in twice the amount of time that they did before um, if they're going to spend, the, you know, some time with their, their youth teams or um, they're not going to at all. And, you know, I think both of those scenarios are, you know, have some some things that, that could, you know, improve. So um, I think that if we, we focused on that piece, um, you know, six hours, I think, was the rule. We, we never came close to six hours with what we did with the kids in the fall. Um, but if we were able to include some, you know, at least seventh and eighth graders in, in some of those workouts, the, the skill workouts, I think that would go a long ways to developing, you know, some, some cohesiveness within, within our program and, uh, you know, help our youth teams and, and not, you know, put, just, put such a strain on, on our high school coaches. Yeah, how did you use that that rule this this fall? Was it was it mostly skill development? Did you did you put in any of your offensive sets or anything like that? I mean, what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, we it definitely didn't do anything as far as offensive offensive sets or or plays or, or you know any of that. We did, um, you know, I think that we did an hour and a half twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, and I think we started a week later than OSA would have allowed. And we spend about the first 45 minutes, um, sometimes an hour, but usually about 45 minutes on some skill development, whether it was shooting or ball handling or passing and doing some of those things. And then I, I really allowed the last 45 minutes to go back to the kids and, and do some open gym type of stuff. I think, um, you know, that's something that I always loved was that, that scrimmage component. And I like the, the fact that we develop some leadership and allowing them to pick the teams, however they do that, whether it's you know, shoot for teams or whatever it is, but just to, to go out and play and, and enjoy the, the game and that it doesn't all feel like, uh, you know, an, an hour and a half of, of skill work, and that's that's all we're doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think we, we did that similarly. Uh, you know, the first 45 minutes to an hour was, was definitely skill development, trying to get our, our kids ready and, and, and develop those skills, and then they kind of need a carrot at the end, right? You got you to gotta give them something they want to come to do, and so we let them play for that, that last half an hour and uh, the nice part about it was, though, we could actually stop it, right? If it got ugly enough, uh, we could step in and say something, which we weren't able to do in the past with that, with that yeah. open gym stuff. Right. You know, I like the the idea of influencing some of that last 45 minutes too. You know, they they may be leading it, but uh, you know, we we do things like we're gonna, we're going to catch the ball on, on on the hop. You know, we're going to have ball is in the air, our feet are in the air, so we're trying to catch the ball you know, that way every time. And so you can do things like, all right, you know, you guys are going to you, know, you go ahead, open gym scrimmage. You know, however you want to do that, but um, it's a turnover every time somebody doesn't catch it on the hop. So mm-hmm. now you know you're taking some of that skill development piece and implementing it into those, you know, scrimmage or, you know, more fun scenarios for the kids. But, um, you know, you're also you know, getting something more out of that 45 minutes than maybe we did in the past too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Coach, last question I have for you is another uh, thing that's been brought up uh, with with the OBCA and uh, OSAA, et cetera. Uh, and that's the idea of, um, you know, this eight team state tournament versus what it used to be, which was a 16 team, uh, state tournament. Uh, kind of the thought right now would be that, uh, with the eight team state tournaments, double elimination. Uh, but if we were to go to 16 teams, maybe making it a single elimination tournament. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on those two proposals? Uh, are you in favor of one or the other or just kind of what do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would say that not much in favor of of expanding the tournament at this point, unless we're in a spot to, to reduce the amount of classifications that we have. And um, you know, I'm pretty 
uh, one-sided when it comes to that, that I, I think that Oregon has too many classifications. And um, I think that just the, the state tournament that I remember or the experiences and the, the attendance at, at the games compared to, you know, what I see now, um, I think that we could work on providing a, a better experience for, you know, not just the, the number of players, but, um, you know, really go back to, to valuing what it, what it means to make a state tournament. And I think that, uh, you know, as a personal example, we were one game away, you know, in my high school career every year from getting to uh, the 2A state tournament in Pendleton. And I can tell you, like, that was the, the goal. The goal was to, to get there and, you know, to fight through your league for, for an opportunity to get there. And I don't think that I got any less of an experience based on what I did and, you know, versus, you know, the, if I would have gone there four times. You know, I think that sometimes, you know, it's it feels like too many teams are, are doing it or it's almost an afterthought that, oh, yeah, you know, we made the state tournament, but – this happened and it, you know, there doesn't, it doesn't have that same, I guess, zing to, to what it used to of, you know, we, we made the state tournament that, that was a big deal. Um, so yeah, a few ideas that, that I'd like to, to pursue or have someone pursue would be, you know, maybe we don't do quarterfinal games, um, at neutral sites anymore. Maybe we put those back to the high schools and, and try and drive some, some larger numbers there and make those a little bit more fun. And, Maybe uh, 6A and 5A, you know, join together and they do, uh, you know, semifinals and finals um, at one site and, you know, they use the, the Child Center or, you know, Corvallis and maybe 3A and 4A can band together and now we've got, you know, fans from multiple classifications attending one, one venue and, and doing something that, that might drive some attendance and some more interest in, in teams that, you know, maybe we're not, not so accustomed to seeing. Yeah, something that's been brought up actually along those those lines, that 5A, 6A, 3A, 4A, um, is to do that, but but do it by gender. So, for example, maybe uh, 5A, 6A boys are at the Child Center, 5A, 6A girls are at Gill Coliseum in Corvallis. What do you think about that? Again, I think I think there's there's two sides of it, right? Is there's the people that are fans of, of one, uh, you know, gender more than more than the other, which is, is certainly okay. Um, but also, you know, then there's the balance of what happens when multiple schools make the the state tournament, and I think that that's a scenario that you see every year. And um, you know, the opportunity to you know watch and, and support your your community and school is something that I think that you know it's it's more and more rare um, these days than it used to be. It's uh, it's almost a surprise when you go into a gym and they've got a, a good crowd and you know, maybe a band and, and people that are really into into the game and uh, would like to find you know ways to to bring back that that community and, and school spirit a little bit more than than we have today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's the big the big holdup there too is what if you know both boys and girls teams make it and you know there's all these different ideas, but uh, you know right. there's people that get paid a lot more money than you or I to make those decisions, but. <laughs> It is it is fun to talk about and, and hear sides and uh, trying to improve the experience for both players and coaches. So, yeah, I remember going to the Coliseum and, and watching some of the the state tournaments when when I was quite a bit younger and just you know they they would sell out the Memorial Coliseum for you know a state championship game and uh, you know I think we're lucky at the 5A level now to to have the lower bowl full for mm-hmm. you know the state championship and so you know, how do we you know, a lot of variables that, that drive that, but how do we, you know, work within some of those constraints and think that, you know, something like a, a semifinal and final for, for boys and girls at, at, you know, for 6A and 5A at one location, 
um, I can't imagine that, that we wouldn't drive some attendance numbers quite a bit higher than, than what we have now and that interest uh, would be pretty high in something like that. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it, uh, Coach. I want to thank you so much for spending some time sharing the game with us today. We really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Coach, and thank you for all you're doing to, to spread this around. I've had the, the opportunity to listen to some of the other podcasts, and we've got so many great coaches in Oregon, and I uh, just love that, that everybody's willing to share. So so thank you for everything you're doing, too. You bet. Thank you. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Duke, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.